Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian Rates and Macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Jeff Oland, part of BMO's Government of Canada bond trading team. This week's episode is titled, Too Far, Too Fast? I'm Ben Reitzes, and you're listening to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading team to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. Jeff, welcome back. Second time on the show. The first time was very interesting, so I'm very happy to, to welcome you back here. Thanks. Glad to be back. All right. So first, before we start, a couple things. It must be checkered shirt day. We're wearing the same style of shirt. I know you all can't see this, but I thought I'd highlight it. And you're lucky you can't see it because I have a terrible mustache for November that I'm very much looking forward to getting rid of on November 30th, the minute I get home. Moving right along. This might be the last podcast of 2023 for me. I'm not sure yet, but I kind of kind of lean that way. We'll see. We get the Bank of Canada next week for their last meeting of 2023 as well. Uh, they've hiked rates a few times, and it looks like they are almost certainly done here. Jeff, what do you think they're going to tell us next week, and and what's next for the bank, and when? I would start by saying, for me, the communication from the Bank of Canada has been pretty neutral for it seems like a few months. The summary deliberation seems to consistently be kind of a both-sided talk. We, on the one hand, need to see inflation uh, lower, but on the other, Slack has been kind of removed from the economy. So my expectations, just given everything we've seen data-wise, would be that, that we'll probably get a little more of that next week. I don't, I don't have a lot of expectation for that meeting. And I think now, based on the price action we've seen in the last few days, I wonder if it's fair to ask, and I put the question to you, is enough priced in now that the bar the bar for a dovish meeting is set pretty high? That's a good question. I was kind of going to ask you the same thing. Um, <laughs> we've we've rallied a ton in the past, call us, and since since early October, uh, I was just looking at the numbers. So twos and fives have rallied like eighty basis points, ten seventy ish, long sixty five. Uh, we're pricing even small odds. It's just a couple basis points, but still small odds of a cut in January. And it's like, hold on a second. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the last time they spoke, they still had a tightening bias, even if they're really no intention to tighten, they still have that bias there. And it's not like they're going to go from that bias to cutting rates from one meeting to the next. So it's going to be very hard for them to clear the dovish hurdle that the market appears to have set here. That being said, uh, we are going to get GDP on Thursday. So it's currently Wednesday early afternoon. We'll get GDP before this comes out. Uh, looks to be, call it flat, doesn't really matter. Unless it's massively positive, I don't think it matters. Uh, and and we'll get jobs on Friday for, for November. The data haven't been great, so they can sound cautious, but it still comes back to inflation. We're still way above target. The core measure is still nicely above 3%. And yeah, they'll probably come down a little bit next month again uh, when we get the November numbers mid-December-ish. But the base effects for December, which we'll get in January, are not favorable, to put it nicely. And so if inflation's back to three and a half-ish percent on the headline, 
them cutting seems slightly ridiculous uh, given what we've been in the past couple of years. And so the market pricing is just taken on a life of its own. The Fed has made it pretty clear that they're almost certainly done. I mean, I'll obviously never know on the inflation surprise front, but they, they look to be done. And you already have members talking about potential rate cuts next year. And, and even if there isn't a recession, they could still cut rates. And, and just because real rates would be quite punitive if inflation continues to slow, I think. So like that's probably the underappreciated scenario that I suspect the world is or the, the world of finance is, is kind of overlooking. Everyone's looking for hard landing, recession, whatever. But there's a world, and I don't know if, I don't, if maybe it's a soft landing, I don't really know, where the economy does okay, I guess. I guess it would be a soft landing. And um, they're able to cut because inflation comes down and they just don't want to have real rates that high because they don't want to cause a recession. Uh, maybe that's Goldilocks, I don't know. But that seems to be what the Fed is signaling now. Thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, to me, this looks like the it has all the hallmarks of the classic wait for the lag data to catch up with reality, and then by that time it's too late and you need to get aggressive cutting. So I wonder a little bit, even if you look, for example, at the unemployment rate in Canada, I think some of the, the uptick, the sham rule, I think it's called, when the unemployment rate is a certain amount over its trailing three or six month average, that's already triggered a recession in Canada. Obviously, we have the yield curve. A lot of the soft data is not great. But in the end, they seem to have kind of wed themselves to the inflation number. And that number is still very elevated. I think all, a lot of people do expect it to come down quickly. And it has come down when you think about it quite dramatically. But I wonder a little bit if we're still at risk to a situation where the economy has clearly stalled. Unemployment is ticking up. GDP is low. I mean, we're already in that kind of a position. But the spot inflation number is still not at a level where the bank feels comfortable actually cutting rates. And I know, I think we discussed at the last inflation print, the three-month and six-month annualized numbers of some of the core measures are getting kind of back in the zone. And I do think they might be able to, and this is truly what I don't know, and I wonder what you think, and I wonder what the market thinks. If we had, for example, a year-over-year number, sub 3%, would that be sufficient to start cutting or are they going to need to see something lower than that? I know the real inflation purists will say the year-over-year number is not really meaningful or it's not a reflection of the most current inflation that may be, but I wonder if this has come into kind of a political arena now where when they just got it so badly wrong to have a situation where you're cutting rates when inflation is still at the very high end of your target, I don't know. I truly don't know. And I think from a market positioning perspective, I wonder if the risk reward is now that high twos, low threes is not going to do it. And we aren't going to be looking until base effects drop out. And maybe that's not until next summer. What do you think about that? I think the last part there is probably the key that they, what's gone on for the past two years is probably what's going to drive things. Unless the economy is really weak, and I almost think even if it is quite weak, maybe not extremely, but quite uh, you're going to need something maybe just north of 2.5%. So not that far from target. And the shorter-term metrics, the three-month and six-month annualized type things that you were talking about, point to a further slowdown in inflation. So you need to have those are kind of my prerequisites for them to be easing. Uh, I've, I've written a bunch of times and said a bunch of times, the window probably opens in April at the earliest 
unless you get some extremely weak inflation prints, uh, which seems kind of hard to believe given that the price of my salad yesterday went up by another 50 cents. And someone, I just went for lunch with somebody to pick up lunch and she got lunch. She used to live here. She lives in New York now. And she got the same lunch she used to get, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. Uh, and she's like, 20 bucks. <laughs> what is going on here? Uh, and so I, I just, it, there, there's still that inflation impulse there. I don't think it's fully subsided. There's lots of labor contracts going through, uh, union wage negotiations, stuff like that, that are chunky. If you look at some of the provincial budgets, you'll see that there's some of the misses on those are because of labor negotiations and, and having to pay out more money to some of those, uh, the government workers. So again, April, probably on the optimistic side, but I, I think if you do the numbers, run the numbers, that that's probably on the on as early as it gets for the for the window to open there. But before that, if inflation's any like three percent, that doesn't make sense for them. Like the they're trying to crack inflation mentality. And if you're easing into three percent inflation, unless the economy has literally gone off a cliff and you are certain that it's coming down further because activity's grounded to a halt, you can't cut rates. And on top of that, I would say that like even in this meeting, even the next meeting, unless, again, unless things are really, really bad on the economy, banks not going to sound materially more dovish. They probably maintain their their kind of quasi-hawkish tone, their, their, their hawkish bias, their hiking bias, because they don't want to even hint that they're ready to cut yet. Because, again, inflation's too high and they're still trying to break that mentality. So it is it is a mental game, I think, still. And when they are eventually ready to cut, We'll probably only get one meeting's notice, I think, and they'll want to maintain that hawkishness probably for as long as they can. And if anything, I think the rally in rates over the past six, eight weeks only reinforces that because financial conditions have eased a ton. Mortgage rates might start to come down again. And then in Canada, you get housing and so on and so forth. And they don't want to see that. So two, five to maybe two, seven or two, eight would be the year over year range that you probably need inflation to be in. And last question on the subject. Anything in the basket that we should be looking for one way or the other, surprise, upside, or downside that you think is a risk? I mention it only because when you think about the Fed, they've get, kind of given you their super core, which is pretty super, pretty core. I don't feel like the communication from the Bank of Canada has been as delineated. It, it, to me, it's really been pretty vague. And so I do think... If out of nowhere somebody comes out and gives you something a little more specific to latch on to or opens up to the idea of easing a little more firmly, that probably does give you some leeway to let this rally go a little further. They've, um, they've, they've talked a bit about services and core services, but you, you have housing stuff in there that makes it kind of hard. And, and, and once you take those out, there's not much left. Um, so that, that makes it challenging. I'm, I mean... From my perspective, they should still just be looking at old core inflation. It's very challenging when they, when they it was challenging when they introduced the new cores, and 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 I find them still to be kind of challenging, and and that they're not that easy to explain, especially to non-economist nerdy people. And CPIX, which just excludes eight things, one of which is mortgage costs, which is pro-cyclical to policy. That makes a lot of sense to exclude something like that, and energy and food. So it's just kind of like a normal core measure. Uh, it's still pretty good. And, and that one's come down a lot. And like rent is in there and rent has gone up a, a fair amount. It's been consistently strong. So it's not like you're excluding everything. So, I mean, I would love it if they would refocus on that core. I, I don't think they will. 
they have talked about services. They'll probably keep doing that. It'd be my guess. But their core measures are still what they're focused on at the end of the day. And given what's, again, given the miss in inflation over the past two years, you don't want to change the goalpost now. Even if it's the wrong goalpost, you still don't want to change it because then you even have less credibility if you had any in the first place, which is, I mean, maybe, maybe not. Uh, It's it's challenging. I I do feel for policymakers. Their their position is difficult. It's like uh, when you start your day off with a bad trade and then you try to trade your way out of it. uh, Sometimes it it gets hard to forget about uh, the bad trade and focus on the the next one. So they've kind of handcuffed themselves a little bit. Trader mentality, yes, yeah. makes it very challenging. Luckily, I don't have to worry about things like that. I just have bad calls, which then haunt me, but that's the way life goes. So let's move on here. I want to know what your thoughts are on the December index extensions, December 1st, December 2nd, which I think is actually December 4th, because that's a Monday, uh, and then December 15th as well. So there's a lot going on in December. What is the big picture here? Because the shelf life of this chat would not last long. It's a, it's a good question. I think just a quick note, uh, obviously deck, deck 15th is a little further, but with the larger CMB this year, it will be a bigger extension when that bond drops out of the long index than it had been in prior years. It, it does seem to me that the index community has some leeway to move things around when they feel like there isn't the same value offered. And if you'll recall last year, 1030s, for example, is very steep compared to where it had been, and there was a lot of buying alongs. Coming into this index extension, I expect we will see some buying for sure. I also think a lot of that was priced in. This morning, the curve steepened quite a bit, and I have to imagine some of that is expectations of prepositioning for the extension and just having a little bit of supply come through, maybe not having the kind of buying people expected so far. So I think overall, it's always difficult to say exactly how this should go. And I think adding a complicating factor is the very strong performance bonds have already had this month versus everything else. We were looking yesterday, and I think it was written in Bloomberg earlier this week, for the 60-40 portfolio, this is about the best monthly performance we've had in the last 20 years outside of April 2020, and everybody remembers April 2020. I think it's even a stronger performance for the 60-40 portfolio than we had coming out of the GFC. So if there's a situation where both longs, uh, bonds, and stocks have done well, I just wonder if there's going to be much allocation into bonds. And then, yes, we have an extension, but I wonder if all those things kind of go into, and, and just the sheer fact that we've had such a major rally, go into making this maybe less of an event than it would have been. And so far, I would say that's what we're seeing. If anything, we have seen quite a bit of interest to fade the flatness in our curve, uh, whether it be through steepening CTD versus TENS or TENS bonds. That that has been a theme. And I think when we look at 5, 10s, 30s in Canada at a plus 10 or 12 versus where it is in the US, something is a little different there. And in order to sustain those kind of levels, I think you you need either a divergence in policy, which I don't, I'm not sure we have, or you need the flows to to subside. And I think to, to some extent, the flows in Canada have definitely slowed down compared to where they were this summer. So all in all, we always expect these uh, index days to be pretty busy events. And I don't, I don't think it'll be slow, but I just wonder if we're going to see the kind of cash buying 
that we had seen in prior years. Even even with the admission that outright yields are, are higher than where they were in in prior years, I, I feel like people who wanted to had their opportunity to buy um, quite a bit higher. So it all in all, I think the you know our feeling for the time being is that it'll be busy, but uh, nothing completely noteworthy. So probably not huge flattening pressure is what you're saying. But if we do get that or some, do you fade that going into 2024? Is that is that the trade? Because 1030s is super flat, 530s is still super flat, all compared to the U.S. Uh, Canada, U.S. long, the Canada long end is still ridiculously rich. Um, is this? Do you want to fade all those? Is that is that the 2024 trade? I think, and I think the last time we discussed 1030s steepening was something that was on our radar for sure. And I think from that time, it went from about minus 20 to the flat level of, I think it was minus 34 and change. It's going to take a big change in assumptions to get us back to minus 34. So I think my preference probably in the near term, if I had to have one of the two on, 10 series or 5 series, actually I think I'd go with the 10 series. I just think it's got a little less torque perhaps, but maybe... uh, you, you don't need the performance right away. The carry just isn't going to kill you as bad as 530s. When we look at 510s, and obviously this is not worked out today, but I, I find 510s not to be maybe in the right place, but there is a fair amount of assumption about easing in the next year, and, and we may well get that, but I just wonder if it's going to cost a lot to carry, and if we don't get it until June, if some people are going to have a hard time sticking with it. So overall, I, I do think 1030 is a lower risk, lower reward way to play it, but I, I, I do prefer that. So yeah, if we were to get back into the, let's say, mid and minus 20s, which I, I suppose we could see if we do have enough buying, currently we're about minus 17. Um, that's probably, I think, a good trade. So you like 10s more than 5s. Is that potentially because the terminal rate that's currently priced on the downside is this morning actually I just looked uh, through three percent. Is that what 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 are your thoughts there? Is there room to go on that terminal rate, or have we rallied too far here? And what are the what are the drivers like? What drives that in your mind? Well, that is the million dollar question. I I think it ultimately depends on a whole bunch of things which haven't haven't yet occurred. I don't know if you have you seen that movie Charlie Wilson's War. Yes. At the end, and, and he's speaking, and he just says, we'll see. And anyway, it's, I, I would encourage people to go go watch the clip. It's good. Because in the end, it will depend on a few things that haven't happened yet, I, in my opinion. Because we had a terminal rate. So like, if we look at three-year, one-year as an example of an approximation for the terminal rate, I think it's, you tell me, it may be below 3%, but it was just around. Just, just, it was like 290, yeah. like looking at three months. Not the, not the three-year, one-year, but like three months four years or something. Yeah. And I so, was just looking at the bottom for that three-month gap. So that's literally rallied 100 basis points probably in the last six weeks. And so anytime you have a 100 basis point rally in six weeks, that's pretty quick. On the other hand, that is still probably, I think I looked, the average for the last 15 years was like one and three quarters or something. So it's still probably another 100 basis points over where it traded for the last decade. I think there are a lot of really bright market commentators who are calling I think Howard Marks is one calling a sea change, i.e. we've entered into a new regime with respect to rates and inflation. I have some sympathy with that view, but it depends. It, I, and, and for me, it does depend on the 
on the fiscal situation, overall, when I look at the political landscape globally, and this uh, election in Argentina seems to be at odds with this view, but I see a, a move towards maybe more left politics or at least more populist politics and certainly less interest in austerity. I remember after the GFC, there was a belief, and even in the U.S., they were, I think, probably hard on the Obama administration about how much it was spending. But in the end, the, the deficits weren't all that large. And since that time, they've gotten to be quite a bit bigger. And I just don't really see any substantive political conversation on the topic or any interest to, to bring in spending. So if we go into a new world where deficits are permanently higher, I do kind of expect that rates will also be higher. What do you think of that? I sympathize with the view. The more I think about it, the more I wonder, the, the, the question I ask myself is, when do rates start to matter? So at what point do interest costs get so high that taxpayers and just the general public is like, what is going on? Why are we spending 10%, 15%, 20%, a rising share of every tax dollar on interest? Like, this does not make sense. Maybe we're living beyond our means. What? <laughs> uh, and I don't know when that is. I kind of hope it's sooner rather than later, just because if it gets to be later, then the getting back to somewhere that's sustainable is extremely painful. We'll see, as you said, because in the U.S., there's clearly kind of zero appetite. But we have an election cycle coming. So, like, you just kind of never know which direction that's going to take things. In Canada, it's becoming increasingly clear that no matter which side of the political spectrum you're on, there's not as much appetite to just spend massively. Not saying they're in austerity at the moment at all. We're not even close to that point. The latest fall economic statement had plenty of, of spending in it. But it wasn't like they just blew up the budget deficit. It was just kind of they took the gains that they were otherwise going to get and just plowed them back into spending to keep the, the deficit effectively steady and, and increased it slightly on the out years. And so like you have incremental creep and things getting worse, but nothing big because the appetite for that, I just don't think it's there anymore. And people are like, well, hold on, government's how big now? Um, we're spending how many hundreds of billions of dollars a year on government? This doesn't, is this right? And and so I think that's the direction we're going. And in, incrementally, people do seem to matter. There's a lot more editorials on uh, government getting too big and interest costs and just irresponsible spending, stuff like that. And I think we've seen in a bunch of years, just yeah, the appetite isn't there the way that it was. And I think this is a function of rates. So at some point that trickles down from the policy nerds like me, the guy on the street that's like, what's happening? Somebody explain this to me. Maybe we shouldn't be spending all of this money every year. Maybe we're living beyond our means. I, I, I agree with that. And I wonder, though, if a little bit the interest expense also contributes to the inflation, where the government's paying more in interest, but the, you know, the interest is sitting in bondholders' pockets or whatever. And, and also, I wonder a little bit the dynamic of the Bank of Canada's operating loss, how that contributes to things. Uh, uh, eh, it's uh, not a, it's, it's accounting. I think it's accounting. Why don't I say that way? That's what I think. Whether I'm right or not, we'll find out in, I don't know, maybe never. But, but. I, I wonder, and I think it's something very few, let's say, DM-focused people, participants have studied, but I wonder if some of these lessons can, can be taught to us from EM. And in the future, if you face a kind of a balance of payments, 
I don't know, a crisis wouldn't be the right word, but situation where you need to pay a higher level of interest rates to attract people to your, your currency. Certainly, people have been talking about this for the U.S. in particular for a while. I don't think it's even begun to happen. The, the, you know, with the U.S. dollar as strong as it's been, for sure, that, that is not yet occurring in any way. So this may be something that never becomes an issue. I really don't know. But if, I guess, just back to the discussion of the terminal rate, and to anyone listening, I think we'd, we're soliciting views here. If <laughs> what people think of the terminal rate, I just wonder if we do go back to some reasonable level of government spending and make some hard choices when you think of the the discussion of secular stagnation, which was so so relevant, like only five years ago, bad demographics, uh, lots of debt, aging population, all those things make it, I think, difficult to have a much higher terminal rate than what happened, what prevailed prior to COVID. And, and I wonder then in that situation, if we go back to maybe zero rates or something much, much lower than where we are. And, and in that case, there, there is a, a huge amount of room to run in this rally. So from what I can see, I do think it, it appears to be a bit of a sea change, and I wonder a little bit, but I, I also don't know if it's fully played itself out yet. So my response to that would be that um, I think that's why you, where you have to separate real and nominal rates. And I think on a real basis, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. On a nominal basis, I don't know. All of the things you mentioned are totally still there, and they all are growth-challenging uh, factors that will that will weigh on developed market growth for some time, but we also have the inflation impulses that um, I have espoused and and talk about so often. Deglo- not not deglobalization per se, but 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 less globalization going forward. Uh, green energy shift, uh, maybe maybe wider budget deficits are also part of that. Just more term premium in general, uh, and, and all those things argue for higher nominal rate and higher inflation. But growth doesn't have to be strong. So then you do get secular stagnation or stagflation, if you prefer, uh, with term I, I t- tend not to like to use. But uh, in this case, I think it actually works okay. But that, that's, I, that's how I look at it, at least, at least initially how I'd approach that problem. I wonder, uh, CAD 10-year yields floating kind of around the 3.5%, let's say, rough number. What comes first, 0% or 7%? <laughs> For 10-year? Yeah. I'm going to go with seven zero. It just seems too ridiculous <laughs> yeah, to me. It does. I mean, it could very well be that, but I can't. I I'll, can't go, go I'll take zero. I'm just a product of the lower for longer soccer era. All, everyone told me about the bomb bear market. I didn't believe them. And you know, <laughs> here I am. So I'll stick with my, my guns. But uh, I definitely think that, that it is a very fair question to ask if something has really changed and in, and in which case uh, the next few years are going to be quite interesting. I'd say who wins the next election here, but I'm not, we're not going to go there. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, so looking looking ahead to next year, top. Let's go with two trade ideas, and and they don't have to be for the full year because that's a ridiculous ask. Uh, just going into the year, and and if you want, you can just say kind of fading stuff that hasn't happened yet because the DS extension will will move things. So yeah, go I ahead. I think order of operations. I think ten thirties. It, it, it's one of those things that. People have been so hurt on it, impatient with it, but it's got a lot working for it. I think the entry level, as with any trade, is important. So maybe it's not something I run out and put it put on at minus 17 on a day like today. But if, as I mentioned, we get back into the minus 20s, I just think it's a low negative carry way of expressing something which I think will happen with 
with a downside, which you just, I really feel need something you really haven't foreseen. And this is always the case when something doesn't work for you, but you need something big to happen. And with the expansion of long issuance from the, the FES, I think the federal government is saying they, they see that there was a little bit of a long supply issue. And definitely, if they choose to address that, I think they can make it wherever they like. <laughs> they could issue another $10 billion or whatever. And, and I think, as well, I've heard the refrain used, higher interest rate, monetary policy works. And if you believe monetary policy works, I think I've seen an interesting chart the consecutive time where uh, twos tens is inverted in the U.S. and now we're at the longest period in history where twos tens has been inverted in modern financial history, and so I do think monetary policy will work. And if it does go serve to slow down the economies, I expect we'll see a lot of provincial issuance as well. And so there has been a lot of buying, that is for sure. But in order to get us to that next flat level, I really think you need a few things, you know, working for it to get us back to like minus thirty. So. For the year, if I could put a trade on and not look at it, uh, that would probably be one. In the near term, I actually think, and this is at odds, and this is why I think the timing is always important, and maybe we're, we're getting a little too, uh, sometimes I feel in the seat you, you get too day to day, but I think there's a lot priced in. Now we have uh, 1% of cuts priced for next year. I think in the very near term, we're at risk to a slight uh, acceleration inflation or a, an inflation print that just comes a little higher than expectations that causes people to say, yeah, maybe we need to push everything back a quarter here, which I don't think in any way really changes the thesis. And I'm not really even sure how much it would flatten 1030s. But would it be so crazy to say, yeah, the first cut isn't going to come until June, July instead of April? I don't think that's so, so crazy. So I think in the front end, you know, one year, one year or something, something to that effect, you, you probably have a chance here to fade this this last move. But I think for some people, that might be a little too cute. And you just deal with the mark-to-market volatility of something that has kind of been heading in, in the right direction. And, and overall, if we look at inflation globally, I mean, it certainly, it certainly has come off a lot. And I think people talk about the last 1% being the hardest and, and all that. I, I, I get it. But the rate of change for all these things is in the right direction to just, you know, own the front end and forget about it. But if one was so bold to make a tactical play, that might be one to look at. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very much with you on that. I, it's like if next week, I think it'll take a U.S. data point, just to be clear, to, to move the needle for Canada and the U.S. Absent a really strong Canadian inflation report, and I'm not even sure that's enough, Canada's done. Like there's no, the bank Canada cannot be pushing rates higher here. They can't. Uh, the economy is already all but in recession Dare I say? I mean, anything on a per capita basis, we're we're in pretty rough shape. So, I'm I'm on that in that camp. But if we can, like next week's U.S. payroll report, let's say it prints plus three hundred thousand, the unemployment rate goes down a tick, and wages go up a tick, which is not impossible. Um, yeah, the, the the what what's been priced in over the past few weeks is going to look challenging with that backdrop. Uh, so that's that that's I'm with you very much. So we we moved a long way in a very short period of time, and and that's. I lean that way entirely, but it can get a little bit ahead of itself. And uh, again, with with a few beeps and, and cuts price for January for the bank, that just that that just signifies that we've probably gone a bit too far. Even if that's kind of the most likely outcome for January for the bank, 
it just it's extremely unlikely you'd need to have some kind of catastrophe. So you're pricing in catastrophe. Does that sound like a good idea? I'm I'm usually not going to bet on that. I mean, why don't you do a 16 team parlay while you're at it? <laughs> uh, not 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 such good odds there. So. Jeff, why don't we leave it at that? Thank you, and and we'll see if this is my last episode of the year. I, I think timing-wise, it might have to be, but uh, we'll see what the deck one two brings. It might be exactly. so exciting, you need to have another. If, if I can squeeze one in after the bank, I'll, I will try. If not, uh, thank you everybody out there for listening for twenty twenty three, and uh, hope you had a good year and look forward to a prosperous twenty twenty four. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.